All right. Uh, how should we start this episode? Anyone got any ideas? Did somebody have an idea last week? And then they were going to do it this week? What's the 1980s thing? <laughs> Brandon, sing... Uh, what, <laughs> what's that song you sing for every decade's episode? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 19. Uh, 19. No, 19. 1985. You can actually sing it for this one, because, I mean, it's not... It's not yeah. an 80s song. Yeah, go for it. Sing it. No, I don't. Do I don't, it. I'm, I'm embarrassed. Brandon, no. I thought you had the voice of an angel. Yeah, come on. The wind. Uh-huh. It rained. <laughs> I don't know. This song. <laughs> that was you. It's amazing. Are you, are you crying? He's <laughs> weeping. Dude, I am I am literally going to become an actor. Tell literally? Me. Literally. Listen, give me lines. I will be an actor. What? <laughs> Where is this coming from? <laughs> give me lines. Give me lines. Where, what's my line? Line? <laughs> <laughs> I can be British. <laughs> you want to be, yeah. be British? Can you be British this episode? Hoity dorty. What? <laughs> In what world? <laughs> what? what fucking world? Hello. Can you, can you introduce the podcast as uh, as Austin as Powers? Bit? Introduce them as, as Austin, Austin Powers. Powers. Do it. Hello, everyone. This is Austin Powers. <laughs> Welcome to the next episode of the Stack. The next podcast. episode. <laughs> What about this episode? <laughs> the, po- the stacked podcast. <laughs> Oi. Oi. <laughs> Oi. <laughs> Alright, yeah. Bogalicious, baby. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. not an 80s fellow. He's a 60s fellow. I don't know yeah, why I did oh, that. Should we should have said it for the 60s episode. Because today, we are back with the Decade series doing the 80s movies. And for that, we had to bring back a guest. Hart? One of the, the biggest 80s aficionados we know. That's right. Joey Jordan, you are back from Twist Movies. Come on and talk 80s movies. Welcome back, Joey. How's it going, man? Dude, it feels so good to be back on the podcast talking about easily my favorite decade of film pop culture ever. Um, yeah, super excited to be here. And uh, yeah, Ethan, let's get into this. It's fucking good. And of course, as always... Chris and Brandon are here, fellas. How's it goes? It how goes it? Yeah, <laughs> I am fantastic. Yeah, we could tell by the intro. Uh, <laughs> Chris, you you seem you seem a little tired. You know, I I think you've you've been pretty busy, haven't you? Yeah, it's been a crazy week of set and just work and all that. So, yeah, yeah, man, it's been it's been nuts. But back on the pod. <laughs> I feel like a lot of us are gonna be uh, a little drained these next few episodes, just because like we're we're all getting to the end, you know, um, yeah, of thesis and productions and everything like that. So, uh, bear with us, folks. Is if we seem a little tired, that's because like real life is hard right now. It's taking over. It's taking over our lives. But uh, we still leave out some time to come here on the podcast and talk '80s movies. Now, uh, before we get into the topic, I want to ask everyone like. Uh, usually with these decades films, we sort of set some parameters of what we 
believe is like an essential for a movie of this decade and i want to start with you joey like what do you think is essential for like one of the most significant 80s movies like how did you determine that you know Right. So, um, you know, I'm actually glad you're asking this because when I was uh, about to come on the episode, I was really thinking about my picks and um, what would actually make like the best 80s marathon. And what I determined was these films that I have selected today very much encapsulate the decade. It's almost like little time capsules of what pop culture was like then. There are some great 80s movies out there, like fantastic films, but they're not necessarily 80s films. These are the kind of movies when I'm watching them, I feel like I just got in the DeLorean, went to 88, went back in time, (laughs) and I'm in in the 80s with these people just living it up. So I wanted to really like go all out with like the whole 80s aesthetic with these with these picks. So that's kind of where I'm coming from uh, into this episode. Hell yeah. Brandon, what about you? What was your thought process? Well, honestly, when I look at the 1980s, I look at entertainment. You know, I was uh, there are a lot of films in the 80s that have been entertained by as well as like emotionally invested in and much like our other decades films. I mean, we weren't around for the 90s for the most part. We were there for a year, but uh, (laughs) much like all the other decades, you know, that we're going to do, we're not going to be alive for them. So why not find films that are both important as well as good? uh for the for like that decade or like joey said like what kind of captures the 80s in a nutshell so for me it's a film that was made in the 80s and that probably takes place in the 80s that's what defines 80s to me that yeah that makes that makes sense chris what about you yeah for me i kind of wanted to um i didn't really like focus distinctly on like the aesthetic or the feeling of the 80s as much as i think joey and brandon might have Mm -hmm. um for me like the way that I kind of approached it was I wanted to encapsulate, like, of course I'm trying to encapsulate the 1980s, but like kind of go for the, a wider cast, a wider net of what the 1980s was like. Um, Yeah. I think like there's definitely like a 1980s, like kind of aesthetic and feeling that I think a lot of people like kind of attribute with that time. Uh, But I also wanted to, um, while, while doing that, I also wanted to also like jump into what, what, alternative aspects of the 80s that might not get as much of attention as others so i got a little bit more of a a variety going so that's what i'm working with hell yeah and um for me i think uh i certainly wanted to go with uh genres that i think the 80s um that sort of maybe peaked in the 80s for me you know um because i think i think cinema in the 80s was very genre heavy um i think uh and then I also wanted to get like sort of aesthetics that I associate with the eighties, and then um, sort of sort of also like a mix of sort of uh, cultural commentaries that was going on in that decade. You know, um, I think I think the patterns of this decade is since since I wasn't this is the first decade that none of us were alive, uh, at least for at least one year. You know, to sort of uh, experience. So this is this is a whole new territory for us of looking back. You know and uh, viewing a whole decade from a third-party lens. So it was interesting for me to pull my picks uh, for that. So this is going to be a fun episode. I think uh, the 80s is all about fun, so I think we're going to have a fun time. Um, but before we get into the picks, of course, as always, let's get into how the show works. 
once a week we set a topic or theme and go our separate ways construct our own three film stack then after a week we come back here on the podcast and share our own stacks one film at a time then at the end of the show we'll mix and match our nine films to make the ultimate decision what quintessential three film stack we are checking out of this hypothetical video store joey our esteemed guest back on the podcast how about you kick us off with your first 80s pick Sounds good. All right, I'm going to jump right into it. My first pick for today is Fast Times at Ridgemont High from 1982. Oh. This this movie is really interesting because it truly is. I was talking earlier about like a time capsule from the decade, and this film truly is the epitome of a time capsule. It takes place um, in a Southern California high school. Well, not all in a high school, but in the area following these high schoolers. And the interesting thing about this movie is it's written by Cameron Crowe, which is a familiar name, obviously. And when he wrote the book, he wrote a book and then he wrote the screenplay. And what he did, he actually went undercover into a high school when he was like in his 20s and like observed like his surroundings and the the characters that he would see there. And he crafted this movie based off of that. Um, And I think that's part of the reason why this movie is so special. I think it truly is the characters the the performances in the film feel so real and there's so many like big names that got their start in this movie like sean penn jennifer jason lee nick cage that was this was his first really? on-screen appearance yes, yes but he's credited as nicholas coppola he didn't even adopt cage yet uh when he was in this and then wow. forrest whitaker's in this uh it's directed by amy heckerling who would go on to make one of the vacation movies in clueless so it really was like a starting off point for so many big players in Hollywood. Um, but outside of that, it just, it really captures the decade. It has an awesome soundtrack filled with songs that were popular at the time. And it really just captures like Southern California teen culture in 1982. So my first pick of the day is Fast Times at Richmond High. That is, that is a good pick. Um, unfortunately, I have not seen this movie. I've seen like this is a movie where I've like I've seen a shitload of clips for it, but I still can't piece together what I've seen from the movie. So I know about Spicoli, you know, he is an iconic '80s character, of oh, course. Yeah. And I know about the pizza scene in class, you know. Um, and I I totally get that. Like this does sort of capture like the youth of this decade, you know, of the the, the high school life. You know, you you sort of see that. It's funny that Amy Heckerling sort of did that again with the '90s with Clueless, you know. Oh yeah. Um. But yeah, from what I've seen, this movie looks like a fun time, good high school comedy. Uh, Brandon, have you seen this? I have. What do you think? Well, you know, (laughs) I kind of went in expecting it to be this raunchy teen sex comedy. And yes, like there are elements of that in it. But honestly, I was surprised by it because it feels like it's not like a 90. I know it's an 80s movie, right? But it doesn't feel like the 90 sex comedy that we would come to get. And I thought that this was like that first step towards it. And on it, I was really, really impressed with uh, the seriousness given to high school characters because it didn't really talk down to them in a sense. Like, I think the subplot with Jennifer Jason Lee is probably one of the most poignant subplots in comedy. Um, it, it has to do with her, like, kind of discovering her own sexuality and, like, uh, figuring out when she wants to have sex. And, like, when it's when it happens, it's not really, like, that great, you know? And I think that's really, like, important for any teenager to go through and watch. Um, but not only that, I feel like the characters in the film are very real. So, I, I mean, I, I think it's really, I think it's a really good movie. The comedy's good. Uh, Sean Penn is, like, definitely the standout in terms of that stuff. Uh, but even his subplot, which is 
um, a slacker learning to care about school or learning to care about changing and growing up. It's it's a really poignant, surprising story. Right on. Chris, have you seen, have you heard about this movie? Have you seen it? No, I haven't. I saw on Letterboxd that um, Joey and Tori watched this re- pretty recently. Um, and just from like hearing what you guys said about it and also just like, um, you know, like looking, like Googling it just now, it like it reminds me a lot, at least in its look and like the way it like its images seem to make me feel. It's like reminds me a lot of like those kind of 1980s, like down to earth, very like, you know, teenagers in high school kind of feeling like um, Breakfast Club or Ferris Bueller's Day Off kind of thing. Um, I don't know if there's like a larger twist on this film in the kind of way Ferris Bueller is. Um, but yeah, I mean, it sounds like a very like based on like everything you've described and like the image, like the image on Letterbox is like it's the most 1980s looking people ever. And like, yeah, I, I would agree like this. This does look like a great encapsulation of what that period of time was like in America. Well, all right. Well, what a fantastic pick to kick off this episode. Uh, iconic 80s movie. And I'm going to go next with my uh, first pick. Uh, also a pretty iconic 80s movie. Um, you know, I think the 80s uh, has been defined as a decade uh, for over-the-top action movies, you know? Uh, sort of, this is where characters like Schwarzenegger and, uh, you know, uh, Sylvester Stallone sort of went over the top in their action movies and sort of became iconic brands. But I'm going to go with, a, I think, a rather subversive I- iconic 80s movie uh, directed by Paul Verhoeven. Uh, it's one of my favorite films of all time. It is RoboCop, uh, 1987's RoboCop. Now, uh, the reason why I love this film so much is even though it's called RoboCop, it is very much an ACAB movie if you view it with today's lens because the development, the, the, the story of RoboCop is realizing that the police force is corrupt and he quits being a cop. Um, it's got a fascinating air, uh, sort of commentary of sort of 80s capitalism and corporations sort of uh, depicts this dystopian Detroit where uh, this technology corporation has basically taken over the whole city and owns the whole city, you know, um, and thus is why RoboCop is created sort of a product that becomes an officer, you know, and it, it talks a lot about like uh, the uh, an existentialist sort of narrative of um, of RoboCop himself, uh, Murphy. Uh, sort of figuring out who he is now because he's he's lost his memories and he's become more machine than man and it's a a journey trying to regain his humanity while also trying to uh fight something that's really uh, is void of any humanity which is this corporation you know um and yeah i just i love this film i think paul verhoeven has quite an eye for action uh directing but also satire you know this movie is mixed mixed in with like uh newsreels and uh commercials sort of satirizing sort of how uh commodified everything became in the 80s you know uh during the ronald reagan era um and yeah it's just like it's a film that i think was a way ahead of its time i don't know like how it was received then but i just think like paul verhoeven has just like with this and like starship troopers he has he has an eye for just like creating science fiction pieces that like uh once you go back and look at them, like the the text becomes more and more rich as we sort of understand what was going on in the decades they were made. So like, I feel like I had to choose RoboCop for this list because 
It's amazing, and I love it. What do you guys think of RoboCop? I prefer the second and third one. Just kidding. What? I the remake. I'm kidding. What? What? That, that's what a, a hot what take. A d- one two punch. <laughs> <laughs> I know Brandon was. I know Chris was telling you the truth, but Brandon, what do you think about RoboCop? Because I know uh, you're talking about the second and third one. Yeah. No, they're <laughs> they're they're not good. <laughs> uh, they're kind of like the antithesis to what the original robocop was if you look yeah. at them um i i think this is a a fantastic ultra violent film i remember seeing this at a very young age probably too young uh and really like buying into like the action element of it first but i think the more i age the more i take away from the film is like the excellent uh de- depiction i think of peter weller's uh robocop you know that that character is such a tortured human being uh with how he goes through life uh now as like a robotic cyborg of a man who lost his family uh has basically lost his friendships everything and it's a it's kind of a redemption story for him or a revenge story like baked deep and i dig that and i think that's really compelling to tell within a a really corrupt and dangerous police force but i also love what the film has to say about weapons companies uh like private weapons companies that are contractors for either the police or the military and how like that that those things those those the weapons that they sell to uh, police officers shouldn't necessarily be on the streets and there's a reason for it like things can go wrong there's greed involved there's always political motive and i think you're very much seeing that now i mean like with the the boston dynamics robot dog that the new york police department <laughs> yeah. has i know it's not the same as the robot that they install in this film by any stretch of the imagination but it's yeah. kind of one of those things that you can kind of say well robocop was kind of ahead of the curve in tackling and satirizing and i i really i really like this movie good pick chris yeah i know you like the the remake more than the original well, which blows my uh, mind i would say i i like them like equally i honestly like i did not watch robocop like growing up or anything so like it wasn't anything special to me growing up um and also like um i do i will give the original robocop the advantage in the sense of like I think the way it uses its R-rated, like R-rated violence, really does wonders for it. Like surprisingly, yeah. I feel like that's something I think a lot of films like this tend to shy away from. But like they can't, they really just go for the punches here, and like they don't hold back. There's this one scene I distinctly remember, where like I think like I forget, but like something falls off a truck or something, and it's like yeah. chemical burns or something. Oh yeah, yeah. one guy's like the body basically. Oh <laughs> yeah. god, and then they he gets hit by it. the car and just gets liquefied. Yeah. Yeah, um, which has a lot of body horror. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. does. Um, and like, yeah, in the remake, they obviously pulled the punches on that, and I wish they didn't. Um, but you know, yeah, I do. I will give this film points for like it's kind of like, I, especially for its time, like kind of like, like how quickly it was able to like serve as like a, as an indictment of the of like corrupt police force. Yeah, um, which certainly is. I'm sure it was a problem then as much as it is now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so like, I definitely will give it, give it that. And like, I do think it's a very well-made film. I think the only reason I say that it's, it's on par with the remake for me is because I grew up and I watched, like when I was growing up, I watched the remake and I was like, yo, this is awesome. And I watched the original. <laughs> I was like, eh. So like, so then, but now they've kind of like reached equilibrium with me. So I'm, I'm totally chill with either of them. Hell yeah. Joey, what do you think about RoboCop? 
I regret to inform all of you that I have not seen RoboCop. And really? I, but, but after hearing all of your guys' like thoughts on it, I am completely sold and it is going to be like one of the next movies on my watch list. And it's not like I'm unfamiliar. RoboCop is truly an iconic character. And I think it's a great pick for like 80s movies because it is such an iconic character from that decade. It kind of has that kind of like, cheesiness of an idea like robot cop like you could just imagine that the action figures sell themselves but Ethan it's, it, it is interesting what you say where there is actually quite a bit of uh social commentary regarding you know police force and I mean I hate to say it but like some of that is still relevant today so this could be one of those movies where some of the themes still hold true um so I I am definitely going to ch- check out this movie um ASAP it's That's also, it's just such a good critique on commercialism. I'm just surprised watching a movie called RoboCop and then it's like, oh, here's a deep critique of corporations, commercialism, police officers in general. Well, that's what's so brilliant. It's like a wolf in sheep's clothing, you know? Like, it advertised itself as some of the the goofiest thing ever, RoboCop, you know? That's just like, that is the most 80s thing you've ever heard in your life, you know? Where it's just mm-hmm. like... You can tell that that someone who ever thought that was like, oh, they're just making it for like toys for kids and stuff like that, you know. But like <laughs> yeah. underneath, it's actually like this dark and twisted commentary on policing and like corporations. And it's you see, like, that's what uh, that's what cocaine does to people. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure Fairhoven did coke. <laughs> yeah, and it, <laughs> you were you didn't hear it from us, but <laughs> all right. Uh, so that's my first pick, Brandon. You want to go yeah. to your first pick? Uh yeah, I I picked a blockbuster from the '80s first. I, I I hope Joey didn't pick it. I know it's one of his favorite movies. Uh, it's 1982's E.T. Oh, I was so close to picking this one. Yeah, me too. I I it was on the edge for me for my number three pick, and I just had to choose E.T. I I have some great memories of this film, and out of all of the blockbusters from the 1980s. Uh, that have sort of sort of inspired like a generation of children's films and entertainment, I would have to choose E.T. Spielberg's direction here is truly magical. The way he captures a relationship between a very good like puppet and a kid, it's terrific. Like I've never seen anything like that relationship on screen between something that is very artificial and something that is very organic you know they make both feel organic and i think it's terrific i think the story is great Uh, et and elliot's relationship carries the film but also there's upon rewatch of this film there is a very great subplot about the mom and his her relationship with elliot and her kids like when you're a kid you're not really picking up on that stuff it's mostly the science fiction elements that drive the film forward but like it's surprisingly poignant family film that actually cares about the family dynamics and relationship between its characters um and yes the sci-fi elements are extremely uh extraordinary it is a friendship film by by any by most means but it is one that i think needs to be talked about especially with the 80s and i didn't want to go super franchisey here i didn't want to choose like return of the jedi or uh one of the indiana jones films i wanted to stick mainly in the wheelhouse of uh something that is original and unique but was only like a one film thing but yeah et that is an amazing pick um i think 
we'll we'll see this might be the most like influential 80s movie we'll have on this episode because like you still see like the narrative of et used to this day i mean for god's sake stranger things season one like that was that relied so much on the et narrative and stuff like that you know it sort of it sort of spawned like uh this sort of uh i I don't know if you'd call it a motif but like sort of like this this cliche of uh of the 80s being seen through a kid's eyes you know i think i think that might might also be in due because uh filmmakers now have nostalgia for the 80s when they're kids and they're probably trying to implement that into their projects now you know and what better way to do that than to uh pull from et uh one of the movies with, dare I say, probably the best child performance I've ever seen in my life from Elliot. Uh, what's his name? Is it like Henry, Henry Thomas. Thomas? Henry Thomas. I mean, that that uh, audition tape that went around a few months ago is insane. Like, he's such a good actor, and I'm so surprised. Like, he hasn't really done anything after. That's like, this dude could have had like a big career, but he didn't. Uh. But yeah, I. But he did. But he did. But he did. Yeah, well, and I can't do anything about that. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I love ET. I was um, uh, if you know me, I I had a big fear of. I I still have a big fear. I don't know why I said had. I have a big fear of aliens of abductions, and you would assume that I would be afraid of this movie, but I'm not. I love ET. I think ET is an adorable alien, and he's my friend. And I had action figures of him as a kid. He's your friend. He's my friend. You know, e- you know, ET and I, we'd hang out. We're friends. You know, uh, <laughs> he'd heal my boo boos with his glowing finger. You and, should uh, get an ET statue for your house. An ET statue. Have him hang out in, with Jar Jar. That would be yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I would get one. <laughs> <laughs> but Joey, I know ET, one of your favorite movies of all time. What do you oh think? Oh my god. I could go on for hours about this movie. I tell everybody that if you ever want to see me ball my eyes out, just put on ET and it'll happen. Um, it is just, I grew up with it. I have a very special connection to ET because it's a favorite of my mom's and she showed it to me at a very young age. And it was one of the first movies that really like showed me the power of cinema. Um, and I, I think it's part of the reason why I'm such a Spielberg fanboy to this day. Um, yeah, E.T. and it's 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 a quintessential '80s movie. Um, I would even say like the reason I didn't pick it for this episode is like I I just think it's too good for the movies that I was selecting. Like I I think it's one of the greatest films of all time, and it's good that we're talking about Spielberg because let's be real, Spielberg dominated '80s pop culture. He he is the king. He yeah. kind of created '80s pop culture as we know it. Like most of the big blockbuster movies that came out throughout the decade he had his hands in and E.T. I mean, before Jaws and uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Mm -hmm. E.T. was the highest grossing movie of all time at that point. So this really like just put like cemented him as like the king of this decade. So yeah, no, absolutely. E.T. certainly belongs on this list. Really glad you brought it out. And Brandon showing us a $282 Two statuette of E.T. That's that's not bad. That's that's not, not bad, bad at all. Actually, I might pick one up myself. Compared um. to my Jar Jar, that is not bad at all. <laughs> oh my god! All right, Chris, what do you what do you think about E.T.? Were you yeah, were you did I mean, you see it as a kid? Did you have nostalgia yeah, for it? Yeah, I did. I did watch this as a kid, and it was my. I think it might have been my first Spielberg movie. Um, yeah, like you guys nailed it. The most heartwarming, tender, genuine, like 
just such a sense of like wonderment in this movie and something about like i don't know something about human connection and just like being friends with the alien i don't know there's something about that that was just so pure i guess yeah um the score is amazing john williams you know always oh Um, yeah it's actually my favorite score of all time i forgot to mention that Ooh. yeah of, of all time good. that's my favorite score it, it's, it's pretty good oh my god good. yeah um but yeah i mean it's it's so heartwarming so tender i think that ending uh when spoiler alert if you haven't seen et uh <laughs> when et e. dies like, when he gets murked <laughs> he does die. Um, that's getting yeah, shit that, out of me as a kid. that like <laughs> that as someone who really struggles with saying goodbye yeah like wow like oh. what a way to what a way to go Rest in peace, E.T. Uh, he uh, didn't die! <laughs> it was just a break. It was just a joke. But yeah. Oh, no. Great movie. Love it. Very, we, very 80s. I, I can we give also back. give a shout out to all the really crappy, like, um, rip-offs that E.T. inspired? Like, Mac and Me, one of and, Ethan's. Um, and what's e- what, Ethan, what's that one that you showed pod, us? It, I, pod, it was pod mentioned people. on our Guilty Pleasures episode. Pod People, the best E.T. Oh rip-off. My, another reason to love this movie. It gave us so many classic So Bad It's Good movies, too. Sean the Sheep, Farmageddon. Is That's just not e. a ripoff. No, you're a liar. It's just, what? No, it's the you're same right. movie, but with sheep. Did you I like just, it? I thought it was okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's really upset. Is I'm sorry, Brandon. Sean the Sheep, Farmageddon was not the best. But what but about yeah. Sean the Sheep, the movie? I haven't seen that one. I'm sorry. I, I skipped. I'm a Sean the Sheep part skipper. What can I say? <laughs> I had to see the Oscar extended film. All right, enough about the Shaun the Sheep. Chris, what is your first 80s movie? Okay. Well, this might be a little bit of a weird transition uh, from <laughs> uh, your pick, Ethan, of RoboCop, because this Ooh. is also a cop-oriented movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a Bro-cop. movie from, I believe, 1985, um, directed by none other, and he doesn't direct very much, but he is an infamous actor um jackie chan himself it is oh. the original police story oh mm-hmm. damn tell us about police story Super i've never seen one of these oh yeah um ethan well you love when i quote that scene from hot fuzz even though that's a sequel um when no <laughs> yeah. uh, what's his name uh nick frost <laughs> when he's um Super at the cop. supermarket and he's like <laughs> looking at the dvds right before chasing he's like super cop meet the cop that can't be stopped <laughs> um, but yes okay so this original film is directed by no, no, written and directed by Jackie Chan and he's also the starring role um, basically it's quite it's it is a very simple film and it's plot it's basically your classic cop oriented film um, you know it's about a police officer who is framed for a crime that he uh, did not commit when he blah 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 and he must clear his name and at the same time take down a ruthless crime lord in Hong Kong. You know the gist. Classic Hong Kong action film. You know how it goes. Yeah. But uh, what really makes this film special is that it is kind of like the pioneer, at least to me, um, of true stunt work and the way Jackie Chan infamously risks his life for every film he does. He, this is the, like, this was the film that put Jackie on the on the map for most people in Hong Kong especially, but definitely around the world a little bit um he does some inc- incredible shit in this movie um there are these like shanty towns on the side of a hill they drive eight cars through the entire town and destroy the entire town um there's a scene where he's chasing down a bus but he you know obviously he can't run as fast as a bus 
So, so at, <laughs> but right as he gets close, he grabs an umbrella and uses the hook of the end of the umbrella to to like like sled himself on. Yeah. The end of the film is one of his most infamous stunts where he jumps off a pole in a mall and he slides down the pole, but it is he has no protection on his hands. The the thing is electrified and he takes the entire thing down and crashes through glass onto no <laughs> padding at the bottom. I am amazed he hasn't died yet. Frankly, <laughs> yeah. I think frankly I think like it's a little reckless, but like I give him props for really committing. Um I think Tom Cruise could actually learn a thing or two from this guy. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. But yeah, I think this is a fantastic film. Uh, it doesn't pull any punches. And every like every single one of its set pieces like leads beautifully into the other. The entire film relies perfectly on action. There is very little, um, very little if any kind of exposition throughout. Um, it kind of reminds me of Mad Max in that way. Um, and yeah, I think it's it's really just like, you have these beautiful action sequences that are filmed perfectly. Um, the charisma felt from Jackie throughout is just wonderful. Um, and the reason I pick it for this film, on top of it, I think, just being a great film, is it really captured 1980s Hong Kong perfectly. And which, of course, is where I'm from, so that's all I know. So, um, <laughs> yeah, 1980s Hong Kong, this really felt like an encapsulation of that kind of, like, uh, post-colonial whatever spirit i guess um i don't know it really just felt super um i don't know it just feels like really homey to me and like 1980s as well that's this is the like where where i think a lot of you guys might have like say um i don't know say breakfast club kind of vibes when you think of 80s i think yeah. of police story so uh -huh. that's why i picked this movie um i don't suppose you guys have seen any of these movies? I haven't, but it's on there's, HBO Max, which is exciting. Because there's I, seven. seven. There's seven. Yeah, but only I only consider the first three canon. Uh, <laughs> only it's Super like Cop it's like me with the Terminator movies, where I only count the first two. It's like me with the Airbud movies. <laughs> After the first these are all, two, these are all the same franchises, all very similar. Yeah, I mean, like Airbud one and two are canon. Three, four, and five. That's like Elseworld World shit. Like that. <laughs> they changed the names of the characters for some reason. Anyway, enough about Airbud. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's my first. Uh, listen, I I have wanted to watch uh, more Jackie Chan movies. I said this in our Chinese movies episode, and I still haven't done it yet because I've just been so busy uh, to really explore films on my own. Um, but to see this on HBO Max, I I dead ass might watch this tonight because like I I've seen I've seen the stunt in the mall. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't know it was from this movie. And you're right. Like, how does this dude, like, how does he have no fear, like, he, to do that? I, he, it's there was so a, destructive. There was a, there was a, um, there was an interview he did with Conan O'Brien. And, yeah. um, he, he was talking about, like, oh, like, Conan was asking about, like, your injuries and stuff and your surgeries. And then Jackie had Conan, like, take his fingers and put it against Jackie's head. And apparently, Conan described it as, like, feeling a genuine concave in his head. Because there's a metal disc just in the middle there. He literally really? looks like Arnold in a uh, Terminator Two, where like he just has like a, a little capsule up there. What? Holy yeah. shit! Yeah, he's like shattered his skull before. Oh. He's it's amazing he's alive, but he's a masochist. Oh he's yeah. A mas Are we gonna confirm that on the podcast? He's, he's a real. He's he really is the embodiment of anything for the shot. 
Joey, have you seen any of the works of Jackie Chan or Police Story? What do you What do you think about old Jackie? Oh well, of course I'm familiar with Jackie Chan, and Chris has talked to me so much about the Police Story movies, and I'm glad you brought this up because this means that my Christmas gift to you was a success. I got yes. last Christmas. I got Chris the uh, the Criterion Blu-rays of Police Stories one and two, and when I gave it to him, I think he was just like caught off guard or something because he seemed like really underwhelmed. And I like got really worried that I got the wrong Jackie Chan movie. Ah, I see Chris. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, but then later, later Chris was like, "No, no, no, no! I really like. No, no, I appreciate." It. So now I'm glad you're bringing it up again, knowing no, that I I did good last Christmas. Um, but yeah, no, I've seen so many. Chris, I think you've shown me scenes from this movie before when we're just like sitting around doing nothing, watching movie scenes. Um, and you know what? I I think it's about time that we just sit down and watch the whole thing. So. Um, yeah, no, obviously Jackie Chan is like an iconic figure in pop culture. So uh, I'm glad that he's, you know, we're we're highlighting, you know, he kind of got his start in the 80s. And, you know, he so technically he's a huge player from the 80s. And yeah, so I'm I'm really happy we're talking about this. That's right. Brandon, what do you think? I don't know. I haven't seen this movie. I've, I've only seen I've only seen Spy Spy uh, Next Door, next. Kung Fu Panda one, two, three. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I haven't seen any of his Hong Kong action films, but I need to. Uh, Chris will watch them. Yeah, it's on. <laughs> I put it on my list for movies to watch together. So yes, alrighty. Well, then maybe yes. I might save that for a movie night. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Well, let's get into the second round here, Joey, with your second 80s movie. Okay. So I'm doing another teen movie, but I think it's appropriate because teen movies were so prevalent throughout the 80s and they're a huge part of cinematic pop culture from that decade. So my second one is from the iconic 80s director, John Hughes, and it is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I feel like you can't do 80s movies Without talking about Ferris Bueller, it is absolutely iconic. One of the best comedies of all time. Um, for for like the one in like billion people who don't know this movie, uh, it's a story about this teenager, the super slick teenager played by Matthew Broderick, who just decides to play sick and take a day off of school. And he and his girlfriend and his best friend have a fun day out in the city and uh, learn some things about life. And that's really the movie. And it is so much fun from start to finish iconic from got yeah brandon um but it is uh it is an absolute blast it's one of those movies that it's such a comfort movie you could put it on whenever and it's always a guaranteed good time it's a crowd pleaser um the parade scene where ferris sings twist and shout uh on the chicago streets is absolutely iconic and also just like going more into like the 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 cinematic aspects of it yeah, honestly, I would argue it's one of the best edited films ever made. The original cut of the movie was two and a half hours, and they got it down to one hour, 40 minutes, and it flies by. The pacing's impeccable. So Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I, I, I got to throw it on here. So that's my, that's my second pick for the night. Yeah. Brandon, what do you think about Ferris? I'm in it. <laughs> I, I was waiting, I was oh, yeah, waiting for that. Cameron, yeah. Cameron Brandon Winchester as Cameron. Well, as, be, as 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 a, as a co-star of the movie, like, uh, tell us about like the process. You know, of creating you know, this Matthew work. and I, you know, we yeah. were we got along on set. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's all he has to say about his experience making making one of the most iconic movies of all time. Matthew and I, you know, we're pretty good friends. <laughs> 
in all seriousness like that's like people like they're always like you look like alan ruck and i'm like that's a weird one but thank you um i love him. uh the movie as a whole <laughs> i honestly bad influence telling you to skip school what the heck stay in school come Lame. on no, no uh Lord i i Lord. i think uh ferris bueller's like it's a good film <laughs> Uh, it's it's one of my least favorite John Hughes actually. What I would have to say? Ooh. Yeah, I I like it as a film, but like the comedy doesn't really work for me, except for the stuff with the principal like trying to figure. It's like a very sitcom esque thing where like somebody skips school and somebody else tries to find out like that they skip school and they're trying to confirm it, and like that stuff is good. But when it comes to like the actual like chemistry and stuff between the friends i didn't really buy into it all that much and i liked the film a lot you gave this movie four stars i like the film a lot because of the what the what it evokes you know Mm -hmm. and i I love the ending of the film in particular like i think the ending is terrific uh how cameron and ferris their kind of relationship uh comes to a head at the end uh because you know uh ferris is pushing cameron the whole movie and you know you can make the argument that Ferris actually isn't the main character, and that's actually Cameron. But he's not. Cameron's the protagonist of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, you would argue that, so you can get those what get those royalties up. Give me the royalties. <laughs> Listen, I, yeah, I talked to my Yeah, this is actually Asian. my movie. <laughs> Remember when I said I'm going to become an actor? It's just I'm Alan Rock. That's it. <laughs> uh, no, but it's a it's a good film. I just have issues with it. Chris, what do you think about Ferris Bueller? I adore this film. This is like, how do I put this? Um, okay, I guess this is such a stupid reference. Joe, you know how um, <laughs> you and I love that line from the first Rush Hour where um, Jackie says, uh, Beach Boy is great American yep. music. Um, yep, you have to do that. That's how I feel me. for Ferris Bueller's <laughs> great American movie. Um, I genuinely oh, really yeah. think this is like a quintessential American film. It really does like kind of embody a lot of what I, at least like back way back when, and even a little bit now, like what I imagine when I think like a classic American film, like this is very, very, this encapsulates a lot of what that means to me. Um, and yeah, I think it's great. I think it's a very like fun, fun, loving and optimistic film. Um, I love what the way it twists the genre, um, you know, the whole, I think this might've been my first breaking fourth wall experience, watch, like watching this as a kid. Other than maybe oh, yeah. when like Dora talks to the screen or some shit in that, like, <laughs> that counts. But like, yeah, um, yeah, I think this is fantastic. I I really love it. It's and like you said, Joey, it's one of the most like tightly edited films. Um, it does fly by. It is a very much a crowd pleasing film. Um, yeah, man, I think it's a lot of fun. It's it's just classic, and like that's kind of what we're going for with the eighties. I feel like like the classic eighties. Then yeah, absolutely. I, I see this fits the bill absolutely. I think I think it's a required viewing for any high schooler. Mm-hmm. I think like I I man, just remember remember sick days like that that's cra- that shit's crazy. Like And this movie is like the perfect sick day movie. I had the second dose of the vaccine the other day, I was having a sick day, threw this oh. on, and it, it makes you feel better. It literally does, it cures illness. That is amazing. Oh. Wow. It is because it's it's such a it's I don't know, it's like it's such a positive film about just like living you know about going out there and living and like life's too short to to not skip school it's a surprisingly metaphysical film if you read it through that lens yeah (laughs) it's it's crazy uh 
Yeah, this is a, this is a classic film. Absolutely. Um, I think, I I think I need to give it a rewatch soon because I remember I, I I I for some reason I have it three and a half stars on Letterbox. I don't know why. I think I just I think it's auto filled in something. That's close. That's good enough. <laughs> as though like as though like those are right. Get out of here. <laughs> Let this guy on the podcast. Good, good try. Never mind. Try Brandon, next Brandon. <laughs> I, I need to yes. give film a rewatch because I love the music. I love the bow bow. Come on, that's iconic. Uh, chica, chica. And the device oh, he yeah. made that d- to make himself pretend that he's sleeping. And uh, Charlie Sheen in this movie. I keep forgetting he's in this movie. It's like the, <laughs> oh yeah, it's like the bad boy at the uh, police station. You know. Uh, and it's just I don't know. Just everything. Everything just works. You know. John Hughes is such a good writer. He's such a good writer. Did he write this? <laughs> yes. I, okay, good. <laughs> uh, and he's a good director. And the editing is great. You know, uh, one of my one of my favorite cuts is the is the cut to them driving the car. Uh, the the two uh, valets and they're oh with the Star Wars with the music. Star Wars taking it. Oh off. my! Come it's on. so good. It's so great. Um, okay, so my next pick. Everyone, bear with me. Bear with me here. No one has seen this film before. Uh, All right. No one who's probably you, not, not another human being. No one. Right. <laughs> no, I don't it's think fine. anyone who is listening to this podcast has ever seen this film before. I would be shocked. Um, I'm picking an anime. Let me weeb out for a second. Uh, I think the 80s and 90s are quintessential decades for anime. And I could have gone with a lot of great picks. Uh, unfortunately, we used some of our best picks in the Ghibli episode. You know, I could have done My Neighbor Totoro or... I could have done Grave, Akira. Grave of the Fireflies um, as well would have yeah. been. Grave of the Fireflies was on there as well. Yeah, um, but I'm going with uh, an underrated pick. Uh, so one of my favorite anime series of the '80s that I think captures uh, sort of the liveliness and uh, the co- in the '80s comedy is this anime called Yurusi Yatsura. It's kind of like imagine uh, the show Mork and Mindy, but as an anime. You know, uh, it's about this this dude uh this high school boy who um sort of these oni uh you know these japanese gods they they're sort of portrayed as space aliens this movie and they're coming to invade and um it is in some like turn of events uh the oni princess uh her name is lum she falls in love with uh, our main character our ataru and uh it's this whole uh the series takes place on him like pulling all these shenanigans trying to get away from her and her learning about earth culture and stuff like that it's a fun show but i'm not talking about the show i'm talking about the movie which was supposed to be the finale to the series called yurisi atsura 4 lum the forever and this is an incredibly um uh film that deals with the subconscious and with the idea of uh fictional characters as commodities uh I think it it does a great commentary on '80s uh, icons. I think because um, because this was one of like one of the first uh, popularized anime, uh, and the character of Lum has become so iconic. There's like statues of her all throughout Japan and stuff like that. Um, this movie deals with like uh, she disappears one day, and all the characters. Uh, who love her and stuff it it tackles all their trauma in a very metaphysical way where dreams and reality start uh, sort of intertwining and stuff like that and um 
this film has sparked a lot of controversy and debate in the, the the very small community of people who know this anime but i think it's very spectacular in how it treats uh this character of lum as uh sort of like we've been ta- we've been talking a lot about iconography in 80s uh culture you know um and this this film sort of teaches you how to be responsible about uh falling in love with something that's iconic as a as a fictional character like this you know um and it's it, i i sort of think it's ahead of its time and how like um people often talk about how nostalgia can uh uh like can be a bad thing sometimes you know and it, it can take advantage of us and i think that's what this film plays with um but another reason why I picked this film is because uh, this series is also um, hot, like the biggest influence on sort of the city pop movement, which is like uh, Japanese 80s pop, um, which is one of my favorite genres and which has become revitalized through future funk, where DJs today are taking those songs and remixing them and making them even better. I'm talking artists like Inglewood and Young Bay, uh, some of my favorite artists out there. And... Yeah, it's just what I personally think of when I when I think of the 80s. And I know nobody else knows about this, so I just want to throw in this pick. It pro- it's definitely not going to make the final stack, but I thought I'd share just some just some little history of an- another uh, facet of the 80s decade from another country. So <laughs> there we go. There's my rant. What do you guys, what do you guys think about that, huh? <laughs> Ethan, we got a double stack on our head now. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, I, I think I think you made a good point. I think like you are definitely the most the, my vessel for like being exposed <laughs> to like anime and that because like I think it's just because I grew up like way too American to really dip my toes into into anime at a young age. So now like as an adult, I'm struggling to like put that into my watch list. And I have reached out to you and asked for recommendations. You gave me yeah. a. Totoro and Princess Mononoke as a double feature, which was mind a mind blowing viewing. Both of those <laughs> movies back to back. Let me just say, and then um, I also watched a bit of Eva as well, um, yeah. and definitely like just like the artwork of like anime from the eighties because I have seen Akira, and mm-hmm. like even though the artwork is still beautiful today in the films being made, something about like you can tell that computers aren't as involved in the artwork from yeah. the the from the eighties. And you could just, you could tell that there was like a person with like a pen who like drew that image. And there's just something so visceral about like old school anime. Um, so like, I'm really going to have to dip my toes more in, into the genre and especially to some of those classic titles like this one you just mentioned uh, from the time. So, um, so yeah, that's, I mean, I, I wish, I wish I could have more to say, but, no, uh, I- but no, I'm going to have to check it out sometime. I, I didn't expect anyone to sort of have a discussion with me in this film because literally nobody knows this film. Um, but I think you do, do bring up a good point about sort of like, I think about like sort of the penmanship in classic anime, mm-hmm. sort of similar to how we feel about like when we see gr- like grain on like actual film, you know, there's something, I don't know, there's something rather comforting about it, you know, where it's just like, it just feels like all the more personalized when you mm-hmm. know like, someone actually put a, a pen to like uh, a celluloid and drew this and, and you can say that for any animation before like the digital era you know there's, yeah. it's just like there's a personalized touch to it and i and i get that from anime because i did i did grow up with it when i was a kid because um 
my cousins and everything like that. Like we watched we watched Pokemon stuff like that and Ghibli's films. But um, but yeah, Br- Brandon, you're 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 getting a little versed in anime. What do you about what do you think about anime in the eighties? You don't really have to talk about this film. Despicable. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's despicable. You choose a film that we have not seen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, anime is uh an art style that is I can understand why people have difficulties getting into. Uh, personally, I wasn't raised on any form of anime. I think my sister, uh, sorry, Cass, Cassie, um, uh, oh, you're kind of to blame out. because oh. whenever I uh, whenever I tried to watch something like an Avatar, and I know Avatar is not an anime, mm-hmm. but like it is very much like in that similar art style and blend. Uh, it's just a Western look at it. She would be like, Mm-mm, no. I was like, oh, why? Mom and dad said you can't watch it. Like, what? Mom and dad said I can't watch it. Uh, And so I just didn't watch it because I was like, okay, I guess they said I didn't watch it. So I didn't check with my parents, obviously. (laughs) And thus, I never got to see stuff like that except if I was at my grandma's house. So, of course, I never caught, like, Avatar or Pokemon from the beginning. I caught, like, one or two episodes here and there, right? I like to imagine that your grandma's a big weeb, and that's why like, you were able to catch this <laughs> yeah. stuff when you were at her house. Just like, my, gra- my grandma's ah, like, oh, yes, this ready. don't skip parts. <laughs> Have you seen Samurai Champloo? It's a very good anime. <laughs> uh, you know, no, but it, I agree with whatever you, guys, whatever you guys are saying. Even digital anime is really, really good. I think there, yeah. there's something unique about the art style that really works uh, in terms of like they they can do so many varied things about it and like you don't expect it you expect it to be like uh the the same old what is he doing he's he's pulling you he's hiding behind <laughs> <his heart. laughs> he's i i expect it to be always this shown in like child childlike anime that is like kind of pervasive in uh youth pop culture but yeah. there's so much more than that in anime and you got to you got to dig to find what you like yeah, but yeah. It, it it's difficult. It's like finding an anime that you that speaks to you is like it's like going into a comic book store and trying to find like trying to find That's, a place to start. You know, that is it's exactly really overwhelming. Like, Coming from a person who doesn't know much about anime, it, that's part of the reason why I struggle to get into it. It feels so overwhelming. I don't know where to begin. Don't watch Dragon Ball One Piece. They're like nine hundred episodes. You know, that, <laughs> don't start there. Don't go down that rabbit hole. But yeah. <laughs> Chris, yes. uh, I know I know you're pretty well versed in anime. So what do you what what do you think about it? In, um, anime in the eighties. Well, the, as the only person here who has completed Dragon Ball, um... <laughs> he 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 got on the train early. I I'm not saying it's you know it's bad. <laughs> oh, okay, you didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking backpedaling on yeah, that. Was, or, uh, was, I don't know I, if I, it was necessary, but this is just say ABC anything. Dragon Ball. You didn't backpedal at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. you know, I'm watching 800 episodes of Doctor Who. I'm sorry. Like, I, I, uh, I, you I enjoy your, your British television, okay? I'll watch my anime. Yeah. <laughs> oh, go, I'm going to have my tea and biscuits and crumpets. I like my tea and crumpets when I watch the Doctor defeat the daleks <laughs> all right but yeah um i don't know what else to say beyond like i mean you know anime has always been like a really fascinating art form um i i've always kind of found like animation to kind of be in its own weird way at least in its craft very distinct from like traditional film um yeah even though the medium itself is quite similar um but yeah i definitely think this is a like it's it's a medium that i think lends very well to being more to be quite expressive 
um, you know, as you would see with films like Akira or as you guys know, my, my favorite anime film is Your Name. Like just, mm. it's all like, I think a lot of the art style of anime and kind of like that kind of embodied culture that it has is very much about self-expression. And um, like you said, Ethan, this film does sound like it's quite a metaphysical and, um, you know, heavy existentialist film. So, yeah. you know, I feel like that this kind of medium, it lends really well to that. So, you know, I mean, that's what you guys say about Eva and yeah yeah no that's a really good point i think there's an interesting like discussion to be had about like uh what is really like valued in western versus eastern animation i feel like um in the west like sort of detail and animation is focused more on like um like physicalities and like um movement and stuff like that you know where like animators try to capture try to make uh character movements and stuff like be as fluid and like uh believable and realistic as pop not realistic i would say like just as like visually pleasing as possible whereas i feel like uh like anime sort of goes into like sort of uh implementing like more emotional uh i don't know i don't know what you call emotional like uh reactions i guess and stuff into their animations i i I don't know i'm still trying to figure that like this stuff out i'm i think you think there's something terrific about the second episode of Ava, and since it's like an early anime television show, I thought I'd bring it up. Yeah. Like whereas like West like you said, Ethan, Western anime is all about like the movement and energy. Mm-hmm. I feel like or not anim- anime animation, but yeah. Eastern anime, which is animation, uh, I feel like they're more focused on like storytelling in the image. There's this shot in the second episode where Shinji is welcomed into his new home by Misato. And I, I every time I see the shot, I'm like, oh, no other animation would do that. And it's yeah. just him stepping into like the house. But because of what it's conveying via this like this shot, mm-hmm. I, I dig it. I don't you would never see that in a Western anime or animation. Fuck. Well, jo- Joey, I don't, I don't know if you anticipated this long discussion on anime for your episode. I'm sorry. I know. One day I'll be <laughs> able to partake. One day. <laughs> I'm sorry, but let's. All right, let's move on, Brandon, to your second '80s pick. Uh okay. Uh, <laughs> I. <laughs> you were, you were just talking oh. like five seconds ago. How did you get so distracted that quick? <laughs> huh? Huh? Oh. I, I decided to go with the cult classic for uh my next pick. I picked 1981's Time Bandits. I don't think any of you guys have seen this film. No. I've seen half of this movie. When? <laughs> I don't believe you. When? I've seen half this movie when I was a kid, and we rented the okay, DVD cool, cool. from Blockbuster, and it was so scratched that we couldn't finish it. Okay, well then, good. I made it to Robin Hood. Well, that's... I don't know if that's halfway, but... Mm, okay, we'll see. Is that like a fourth of the way? Yeah, I think you're right. Okay. I've um, seen a but, portion of it. Okay, but this film... This film, it's about a kid, all right? He's a kid who lives in a room. <laughs> That's it. No. And one night he wakes up and a horse, like a medieval horse, comes out of his dresser like freaking Narnia, right? And he's like, what? What happened? And he thought it was real. And to him it was real, but to his family it's fake. And he doesn't really have a good home life as is. But one of the like the next night he gets his Polaroid camera. It's the 80s. He sits up, it's like waiting for Santa Claus, and six dwarves come out of his closet. And he takes pictures of these six the six these six dwarves and he scare he scares them, but then he ends up going on a journey with them as they try and steal all of these 
this gold and treasure throughout history and time. So you go back to the French days, you go back to the uh, you go back to Robin Hood's days, like what Ethan said, and it's an extremely fun and entertaining film. It's a time travel film. I'm obviously partial to that. Uh, I think it's really fun in the way that like these characters interact with historical figures, and it's a great comedy as well as like a very kind of sadistic and dark uh, <laughs> twisted tale. Like it's like a fairy tale almost in the way it's depicting this journey for these characters. It's like the ultimate good versus evil battle by the end. And I don't want to spoil the film, but like there's like a literal concept of good versus evil. Like there's a character like named evil who they go up <laughs> against at the end. And it's Their character amazing. Named good? <laughs> no, it's just the boy. You just, you know, the, the boy. boy. <laughs> it's just the lead boy. That damn because boy. like in film, and boy. it's, it's, it's also got stuff to say about like childhood as well as being like uh, being a misfit in your own household, which I think is rare in in any film because usually kid characters in films they're pretty happy. Here, you're not so happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, okay, I can't. Uh, it, it's it's honestly been such a long time. I've seen that one fourth of Time Bandits. <laughs> But I am a big fan of Terry Gilliam. I think he is an, a bombastic director, um, you know, with all of his work on Monty Python and then later on with films like Brazil and uh, what you would call it, 12 Monkeys. Me um, and the Boys. He's, it's, he just has a very unique style that, like, I don't know how – what, what, how would you describe his style, Brandon? It's like he takes his imagination and he puts it on the page. Like he takes the most incongruous topics like uh, medieval dwarves uh, who are pirates and treasure hunters. Yeah. And then like he takes like space concepts and like philosophical concepts and throws it together with something that is historical and realistic. And like I think it's like a eccentric painter. You know, it's eccentric, but also sometimes like dry, not in like not in a bad sense, you know, like dry humor. Um, what is British? Which is like, that's a Br very British thing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's weird. What, what do you guys think about Time Bandits? And has anyone here seen any other works by Terry Gilliam? I feel like I've heard the name. What else has he done? Uh, Brazil, uh, 12 Monkeys. Uh, what's the other one, Brandon? The, uh, the uh, Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Munchausen. Which I ah, yeah. And, and he did all the animations for, like, you know those 2D animations in Monty Python where it's, like, oh. paper cutouts and stop motion? He did Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen any of his movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh! Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen any of that shit. Anyways. <laughs> you haven't seen Monty Python no, and the Holy Grail? I do. I've, I've heard that I would really like it, though. <laughs> I caught that. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's like I I want to revisit Holy Grail. Let's talk about another movie. Let's talk about Monty Python Holy Grail. No, <laughs> Joey, what do you think about Terry Gilliam? Oh, uh, I don't know, but like going back to Time Bandits. <laughs> yeah, my relationship, bandits? my relationship with Time Bandits begins and ends with the value section of DVDs at the grocery store when I was a kid, and I remember the DVD vividly. Because it said Time Bandits. And you know how on DVD covers they put like a quote from a critic to kind of like entice viewers into wanting to check the movie out? Their big quote was three out of four stars. 
<laughs> Which, if you think about it, it's just kind of said it's pretty good. No, like they couldn't find like great any other you know keywords to throw up there. It's just three out of four. You know, hey, it's pretty good. You know, check it out. You know, I don't know. You know, I don't know what you got going on, but so yeah, that's really my only impression of Time Bandits. I'm very surprised that there's trolls, dwarves. Who's who's dwarves? Six, they're Six dwarves. Stars. Yeah, I, I would not have seen that coming. Coming, I thought it was a pirate movie. The They're great. They go on the Titanic. Wow. Wow. Before James, James Cameron. Yeah, before James Cameron. Coward. It's, it's it's weird to think about that. Like the Titanic actually happened and it was like a thing before that movie. Did you guys I see that? Think about that? Do you did you guys see how like people on Twitter were like, wait, it was real? No. Like, they didn't <laughs> they didn't realize that the Titanic, the Titanic actually, actually sank. <laughs> yeah, they, they thought that it was just a movie. <laughs> oh, it's real <laughs> all right oh, time bandits uh chris yeah. let's go into your second pick all right well i'm gonna pick um i'm gonna go with this one it's a movie from 1989 um we've actually all seen this movie and you guys were all there the first time i saw it all of you had seen it before uh either we saw it at old smith house um, a movie directed by oh. Stephen Herrick. It is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. No time Excellent. travel movie. Tell us 80s, 80s were time travel heavy, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, okay. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is a story about two best friends played by um, Alex, Winter. Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves. Um, and yeah, there are a bunch of there are these two like stoner idiots who, um, are given the ability to time travel and they go through like this, the craziest, like twist and turn story about them, like going back in time and meeting historical figures and bringing them together to, I'll be honest. I don't remember much else beyond that. Finish their history report. For their history <laughs> report. For their history report. They didn't need to save the world. They were saving their grades, man. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. But um yes, they needed to finish the greatest up song in the world report. hasn't come yet. And it was it's so great. Um who did they get on their crew? They get Socrates or as they call him Socrates. 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 They have Joan of Arc. They have Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc. Um Billy the Billy Kid. Kid and is there one more? There's many more. Abraham Lincoln. There's Freud. Napoleon. Freud. Uh, Who's the who's the who's the guy? Did they get Genghis Khan? Who is that? They get Genghis Khan. (laughs) Something. Yeah. And I remember just having a really fun time with this movie. Mozart. I think like it's a perfect movie to like gather around with friends and just kind of laugh at. Um, You know, whether it's something as like like as like quote unquote highbrow humor with like how um like socrates is like spitting philosophy and like they're kind of interpreting and misinterpreting everything but then um but then there's also like the dumb lowest of lowbrow comedy where like it's like if you're really us what number am i thinking of 69 dudes (laughs) it's like whoa and yeah i don't know something about that is just like it's just so great i love i think it's so much fun um, I remember we watched this and then right after we um, saw the release of Bill and Ted 3, which was one of my favorite movies from last year. Um, yeah, it's just a breath of fresh air of a movie. I think it's just really fun. And it does kind of encapsulate that 1980s kind of funky vibe to it. Um, I really, yeah. I love the, um, 
the, I forget when exactly this happens, but there's a scene where like they're transported into this kind of like, not really a dimension, but like another, like it looks like a council chamber or something. And there's a bunch of people there. Like they, they can't. It's the future. Yeah, the future. And then yeah. they're, and then like they play like amazing music for some reason. It's just, it's really good. And yeah, I don't know. I think it's a lot of fun. It's really great. And I don't know. What do you guys think of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure? Excellent. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> I I did my senior history report in high school on this movie. Uh, did you go back in time? You think I'm joking? Socrates? Yeah, I did. Wow. No, <laughs> it's based on a true story, actually. Uh, no, I like we had we had to rewrite the Constitution with language from another movie, and I was like, you know what would be great? Liberty and Me justice rewriting for it with sixty nine dudes. <laughs> and I got I got the high I, I got one of the highest grades in my class. My, my I think my professor just what well, I catered to eighties nostalgia he might have had, but uh, I think it's a great movie. Terrific humor. It's, it's it hits the highbrow and the lowbrow perfectly. Like I, I I love movies that can balance their dumb humor with their smart humor, and this film does it especially well. And I'm a big historical uh, movie fan, so the jokes about Socrates and Freud are terrific. Uh, and the, the way I've always loved the idea: what if historical figures could see today? Like I love that idea, and yeah. the way we get to actually see that play out with the movie, with like them interacting in the mall or uh, Napoleon at the Waterloo theme park. Yeah. Uh, it's it's excellent like I, I there and also poignant story with bill and ted like passing their final in the end it's it's terrific yeah it's another movie like ferris bueller's day off where it's just like a, a, a very it's a celebratory film about just being positive and just like living free you know um it's it, bill and ted like as simple as they are like they're crazy good role models to like do a good positivist outlook on life you know and i think it's it's good that they had a movie that came out last year and i feel like it was in a time where we needed these two dudes most to be excellent to each other and party on you know um yeah this movie's a blast to watch um and it's a it's a blast to watch with friends i remember we all we all got together to watch it um with some drinks and stuff like that and some pizza and it's just it was it was just a wholesome time you know and it's just it's it's a definition of 80s fun and i can't recommend it enough joey what do you think about bill and ted yeah man i mean just to echo everybody like i don't know what else there is to add but i will say that the last time i watched bill and ted the original from 1989 like i think my letterbox review was literally just this movie can't like cannot exist outside of the 80s and that's why i love it so much yeah so that's why i think it's like a perfect 80s movie and like you say ethan it's the perfect movie to just throw on with some friends and have fun with um and yeah, I am glad that they did like the 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 sequel um this past year and I really enjoyed that as well. Super lovable characters and they really like captured that kind of MTV vibe that was like rampant during that time period. So I think it's a great 80s movie. Yeah, I I love this pick, Chris. That's true. Yeah. That's true. One more thing. Yeah. Doctor Who uh inspired this film. Uh the 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 phone booth. Police Dude, no box. way. Are you serious? Come. Yeah. Wait, Brett, are you kidding me right now? Actually, you're, you're so I'm, that's I'm, awesome. Bill and Ted inspired Doctor so Who. Cool. They went back in time and they I'm gave them keep... an idea because it's time travel. So, <laughs> <laughs> throws a baseball at my computer, breaks the camera. No, <laughs> jokes on you. All right, let's get into the final round here. Uh, Joey, why don't you introduce us to your last '80s pick? 
Okay, so for my last pick, I wanted to do a slasher because slashers are just mm. such an integral part of the 80s. And there's two franchises in particular that kind of ruled the decade. And I, I was having trouble deciding which one I want to go with. I, I Earlier this week, I watched an installment from one, but like I have to go with the, the franchise that I just know more about because there's more that I can talk on. Yeah. And that's Friday the 13th, specifically... Friday the 13th 6, Jason Lives, which yes. is by far the best of the franchise. It's the only one that matters. If you haven't seen any Friday the 13th movie, just you really only need to do 6, and you'll have a fun time with it. This movie is the epitome of like 80s slasher fun. It, it truly feels like going into a haunted house on Halloween, just like the, the, the gore and like the 80s like music and the grit to it. And the funny thing about this movie is that it's one in the franchise that kind of took a step back and was like, okay, this franchise is absolutely ridiculous. Let's just go ahead and have fun with it. So there's all these like tongue in cheek, uh, tongue in cheek jokes, um, kind of like this meta humor going on in it. But at the end of the day, it's just like a really fun, like cheesy horror movie that I think is perfect for the spooky season. But honestly, you could throw it on any time of year and have a good time with it written and directed by Tom McLaughlin, the genius that some of us here had the pleasure of being students of. I never got to take a class with him, but I have worked with him before. Super chill guy. And he actually wants to continue the franchise. So Paramount, TriStar, whoever owns Friday the 13th, yeah. just give this guy the franchise. He knows what to do with it. He knows how to make it fun. But yeah, uh, Jason Lives is my final pick for 80s movies. Hell yes. I brought this movie up on... Um uh the are uh, the best sequels sequels better than the originals because like um it didn't make it to the final stack but i it's just like this is the definitive friday the 13th movie like i mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen the i've only seen the first one but i know like from my knowledge of the franchise i'm like i don't think there's any more that i really need to see oh wait i saw the reboot with you guys uh Great, great credit song, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mambo <laughs> Mambo number number five. Five. Check out the director's cut, guys. <laughs> Too bad it's not on Wikipedia anymore. Anyways, um, yeah, this is just like, it literally does capture everything that people think about Friday the 13th, but that all the movies, like, I assume fail to do, you know? But it puts it all into one movie. Like, you got, you got the Camp Crystal Lake. You got the Jason Voorhees, you know? Not the, mm-hmm. not, not the mom from the first movie um and you got such great kills that like are both like parodies but also like are legitimately good kills in the slasher franchise like i i have spoken before that i am not really a fan of the slasher franchise and uh these big series from the 80s but like this one this one this one helped me get it because like i knew this one wasn't taking itself seriously you know Mm -hmm. and having a good time and just like um celebrating this franchise really with jason lives Brandon, you're falling asleep at the microphone, buddy. What's up? What are you, what are you doing? This is the second best Friday the 13th movie. No. What? You're wrong. No. What's the other one? Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D. No. In 3D. <laughs> it's so fun. That movie is so great. Um, I think that film and this film kind of know what they are at this point. Uh, I have problems with like the first two. Like I remember hearing about the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, like pinnacle of slasher cinema, and I watched it and I was like, 
they're not that great to be honest like they're all like just fine movies you know they're not like great slasher movies by any stretch of the imagination they're just fine uh and i re- i like uh jason lives i think it, it knows what it is as well uh the kills in it are fantastic and they they make no sense which is perfect for what the franchise has come to be known as um but yeah i'm not i'm not like the biggest fan of the movie like in terms of it being a slasher movie but i totally get the love for it it's very subversive um it's very it has a big commentary on people in horror movies uh like tropes and i i can get behind it it's just like it's not my favorite of them chris um yeah i mean i've seen all of the fire 13th movies frankly they are kind of like to me they are personally like low tier slasher that's just me though um but no nightmare though nightmare is great come on but you see that was my runner-up for this spot because i watched nightmare on elm street for the first time earlier this week but i i feel like i need to see the rest of the franchise before really being able to speak on its behalf so not to diss on nightmare on elm street i just know friday the 13th a little bit better but carry on but yeah so um i've i've seen a bunch of them i do think this is definitely one of the best if not the best of the bunch um i think the only ones that come even so honestly the first one i think kind of sucks um yeah it does yeah um but yeah i think like this is one of the more like ones where like i think you know how like there like Hollywood went through this weird phase where it really wanted to make everything super dark and serious, like in like the early 2010s or something like that. Like, yeah. um, like every remake. Yeah, it was like I guess post Dark Knight, everyone was like, "Let's just make everything dark." Um, so yeah, um, it's your fault. It's my, your favorite. My bad. Fault, I guess. Um, no. <laughs> thanks, Noli. Um, but yeah, I think like this is a, one of the ones where they really found a nice balance between the fun levels of like the horror genre and just like, you know, really honing into like, you know, the terror that is Jason and how intimidating he is. Um, and of course, you know, guy in a hockey mask with a machete, like that's pretty scary. Um, but uh, one thing they do also hone into is the fun of it. I think they do a great job of like not taking itself, like taking itself seriously enough that you can buy into it, but not taking it too seriously that you like, you're just bored. And I think like they do a great job with balancing that. McLaughlin obviously is one of the better directors of the ones that I think they brought on to lead the series. Um, one small tie I have to this series is that my cinematography professor, uh, Bill Dill ASC, <laughs> um, is the <laughs> is the cinematographer for the film following this one. Um, Jason Jason goes to hell. Um, Re- actually, it comes two films. Oh, after two films after this, right? <laughs> Bill uh, Dill did that. I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's so crazy. <laughs> he always talks about it in class. By the way, Bill, I doubt you're listening to this, but please don't fail me. Um, <laughs> uh, he gave me some notes on BuddyBot recently, so I hope he Ooh. I hope he likes me. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a perfectly fun movie. I really enjoy it, and um, yeah, I think this was great. I remember you showed this, um, Joey. I think you showed this to us. Um, way, yeah, it way was back a movie ago. Yeah, movie. and. It's fun. Yeah, I couldn't recommend it. Like, I'm sorry. I could not not recommend it. I, I couldn't recommend I it. I can't bring myself. <laughs> I can't Love do it. I just can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Excellent pick. I think this might be my favorite of the major slasher films. So I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Okay. So for my last pick, <laughs> I wanted to pick a film um, that sort of captures 
the the 80s city life and the nightlife of the city um this was a film recommended to me by our special guest joey and it turned out to be not only a fantastic film but my favorite film of this director's filmography that is martin scorsese's after hours fuck yes i i knew nothing about this film going in uh joey just recommended it to me he's like you should watch it and i'm like all right i got nothing to do tonight i'm gonna watch it so i watched it with my parents um and it is enthralling it is like through its pacing and um it's the screenwriting of where it takes you and all these twists and turns it's it is an absolute blast to watch this dude just survive the night you know um <laughs> I, I, it's hard to so it's hard to like explain what this film is. I guess like this dude goes on a date with a girl at night, and then shit happens. That's all. That's like all you can say. Like for anyone who wants to watch this film, shit happens, and it's the closest thing that I think we could I could compare it to is um the films of the not the. What are the, the Safties? Safties. I almost said the Duffer Brothers. <laughs> some, some brothers. Uh, I the, love their film. The Duffer Brothers could wish that they could make a movie like this. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I agree. Because they love the 80s so much. Um, but yeah, the Safties, like Good Time and um, Uncut Gems, where it's just like, it is straight energy anxiety uh, just on the streets of New York City and... It's just so cool to see this character go through like these unexplored corners and rooms and apartments of New York that like if you've ever been to New York and you look through like you're you wonder what's in there and what people are doing in there. And this film like it lets you it fills you in on these people's lives and it's it it like it's one of the very few films where like my attention was just completely directed towards the screen. You know, there's not I don't think there's a single moment where this film drags um and the the performances are great and unconventional like uh i think like the the biggest name in this film is Catherine o'hara you know and she plays a <laughs> yes. very it's a very, a very small minor part. role you know yeah. and it's just it's so great to see just such a unique film like that and it just reminds me of the 80s due to like the way scorsese is able to capture capture the lighting and sort of the culture of New York city life during the eighties. I, it's just, it's such a fascinating film and such a fun time. So Joey, you recommended this, me this film. What do you think of after hours? Dude, after hours. It, it's like, I have, I still have many films in Scorsese's filmography that I need to watch, but as of right now, it is my favorite. And even if you, you don't want to say it's Scorsese's best movie, I think everybody can agree. It's his most underrated. Absolutely. This movie flies under Underseen. the radar because it, it feel it doesn't, necessarily feel like typical Scorsese and actually just to my main point about this movie a friend of mine pointed pointed this out um most of Scorsese's movies follow characters that are really ambitious and they're huge go-getters every single one even if they are immoral but this is one of the rare times where his protagonist is directionless and really doesn't know where he's going and that's such an interesting spin for him as a director it's so unlike any other film he's made um, and it truly is just like this, it's such a, an experience. It's, it's, it really is. This movie takes you on a ride. You have no idea where it's going to go. And by the end, you're not even entirely sure where it happened, but like enthralling is the best way to put it. 
really happy. To, I did not expect to be talking about this movie, but After Hours is such a good pick, and I just recommend anybody go watch it. Um, it's on Netflix right now. No, it, it's on Netflix H- and HBO Max. There you go. It's on both. So, like, right now is the perfect time to go check it out. After Hours, great pick. Love this one. Chris, yes. I know you are a big Scorsese fan. Yeah, I, mean, I love Scorsese. Yeah, yeah. Scorsese is one of my favorite directors. Uh, I think he's really talented, really great, just has such a love for cinema. Um, but I have not seen After Hours, and I've heard it is like a hidden gem amongst Scorsese's already incredibly accomplished um, body of work. Um, you know, Wolf of Wall Street, Taxi Driver, Shutter Island, Goodfellas, uh, The Departed, um, Silence, <laughs> Hugo, on on. sure, yeah. yeah. Um, there's, <laughs> you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to love in, in Scorsese's works, and I'm surprised that After Hours has like. Like it slipped under the radar, you know, for me, evidently. But um, yeah, I think like based on everything you guys have said, like it's been it's been a long time coming for me to see this movie. And like the what's the um, there's this there's this movie that's kind of similar to this. Is it's like um, but it's like instead of like oh the, um, nuclear, Miracle Mile, yeah, Miracle Mile, or, or like it, yeah, yeah, because we watched that one together. Yeah. They're very similar films. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna bring that up, but. <laughs> oh, oh, oh sorry. sorry sorry i beat you to it fucker uh, <laughs> uh, yeah no, uh no. yeah I, i'm sold i guess that's all i can say hell yeah i i would rewatch it for a movie night honestly even if oh you yeah seen it, just for chris's reaction just for chris yeah and jack you know oh yeah 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 anybody really yeah i want everybody to see this movie and, <laughs> hey if you're listening come on over yeah, come on, on over. Right We're gonna watch after hours. Everybody's invited. Yeah, gotta uh, be vaccinated, but you can come over. <laughs> yeah, it's a good Brand. film. Yeah, the, there's like, I think what's great about this film is like it's like a there's a beginning point, like, and it like goes it follows this character the entire time. Rarely in a film do you see a protagonist like their whole journey unfold on screen because there's always going to be cutaways to subplots. Or they're not going to have the entirety of the moment to like really develop as a character. And this film really isn't necessarily about that. It's about the feeling of anxiety <laughs> and mm-hmm. like you said, direct directionlessness. And I think much like Miracle Mile, that keeps you enveloped in this film because you're not focused on anything else. You're focused on this guy's chaotic night. Uh, where you do learn about many different facets of uh, American life or East Coast life, in this case, New York. And, like, the situations and misunderstandings are as hilarious as they are kind of terrifying if you're not from that area. Yeah. And, I, I, I mean, my, one of my favorite scenes of the movie is in the bar near the end uh, where, like, they're all, like, hunting after him. And I'm not going to spoil <laughs> for why, what reason. But, like, uh, it's it's just, like, this kind of fun cat and mouse game that the viewer gets to go along with uh because there's so much on his plate and it, i i remember texting ethan right after i finished it and i was like yeah it really was like a, a like a pressure boiler of a movie where you felt like the entire time like he was forgetting stuff and you were forgetting stuff as a viewer yeah. so it's like easy to see why like oh like it was just a misunderstanding and like the, you know whatever but it's just it's so stressful in that sense that you're like, oh, no, I forgot. This is going wrong. This is crazy. But that makes it even more enjoyable. After Hours is just definitely a feat. And it also has those 80s uh, 
aesthetics to it that make it really work. I, Especially I, the poster. The poster it, just screams 80s aesthetic neon, and I love it. Yeah. yeah. Was there was how's the score in this movie? Do you guys remember? Is it very synth heavy? I forget. Because I, I think I remember I the really, score like in the score, but I, I forget don't now. Remember like if there was like a really a, an original score to it, you know? I think it's mostly just like the sounds of the city and stuff like that. I don't really remember. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to go check yeah, that out. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that was my last pick. So, Brandon, you want to take us in yours? Hmm? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why uh, do you do that every <laughs> single time? Like, there's nothing better to do. Like, it's like you're surprised. Like, I'm picking on you in class. You're like, huh? <laughs> me? Oh, okay. <laughs> you're just trying to be dramatic, aren't you? No, 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 no. I, I just think here's the, here's the thing. I think I need to be polite and be like, mm, okay, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. It's my turn. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that, that, that almost sounds that's like... That's the opposite of play. That, that yeah, sounds like you're, but not, you're paying not paying attention. attention. <laughs> <laughs> me? Okay. Oh, okay. Huh? <laughs> me? All right. Go ahead. Talk about your movie. All right. I got a 1987 film. I don't know if any of you guys have seen it. It's a James L. Brooks film. Uh, it's called Broadcast News. Ah. You guys heard of it? Or know the, it? No, we're not doing Broadcast News. We're at the ECU doing Network. No, I'm I, not. I'm doing Network. But... Yeah. This is this is a great film as well. Uh, honestly, kind of better, but I don't know why I didn't choose it for my thesis. Why did I? Could you? I don't know if it was on the list, but uh, both films are very like uh, invested in this idea that network television is changing, and with it, so are the people in America. Uh, it's about politicization, and about it, which is why I chose it to be honest, because it's a very important film from the 1980s. It looks at at news and it's like all right what is ethical about being a news reporter on tv uh one of my favorite things about it is there's this uh character in it played by william hurt uh who is basically this like first time news anchor uh he's not ready for the limelight but he does get it thrust upon him and in that sense like he's as a news anchor he's not really well informed he's a very uh, opinionated person and you kind of see that in the talking heads of today's cable media and network television people like you see them on the news talking about their opinions or talking about what they think rather than what the facts are saying and he's very much like that and that is very much seen in the way he goes about reporting a story later in the film and which is eth- ethically incorrect essentially mm-hmm. what he does is he tries to doctor a story like a film where uh, he doesn't get an authentic reaction, you know, uh, or he, he, yeah, he essentially, they are pointing a camera at a source and he says something and the guy's like, wait, turn the camera on me. And they turn the camera on him and he like, he's like, now tell me again. And he cries to the story to make it have this more emotive element, which in journalism is a no, no. And I think that points to um, this change in the media. And I think that's really terrific that it captures that. And not only that, it's a really heartwarming film about romance and connections within that environment, a work environment. And I honestly think it doesn't get enough play. This is a terrific film. It's funny. It's romantic. It's dramatic. It has something that is meaningful for the 1980s going forward. And I think it's something that everybody needs to see. Yeah. um, I haven't seen this film, but like we we talk a lot about like uh, things being commodified in the 80s. And I don't... I don't remember. It's been a while since we uh, did television history, but wasn't there like some sort of mandate where like people had to like be uh, 
like there there had to be equal sides when doing talking heads on news and then that was taken out was that in the right. 80s i think so because okay. during that time in the 1980s the cable news had just come around because mm-hmm. they they had just developed cnn and even then like uh it wasn't like super opinionated like it is now like yes they had their shows but it wasn't like that but then as soon as like fox news came about there was like this push right you know to both so i think yeah you hit the nail on the head yeah around so that time it's it's just interesting to see like that even something like the news was being treated like this in the 80s in a time full of uh everything somehow needed to be sold to some people some way even uh the news you know mm-hmm. and that, that sounds like this movie sort of like uh deals with like how reporters and stuff had to break ethics to do that you know and mm-hmm. that's certainly interesting to me and someone who's like uh, dealt in journalism stuff like that so i want to check this movie out hell yeah what, what do you guys think chris joey yeah. i mean like brandon based on like your pitch like the i mean i never even so much as heard about this movie um and like you know you know how like we, when we were when we began talking about this stack like we we were talking about how like there's kind of this idea of like what the 80s is like you know what i mean like there's this kind of like energy to it that you would imagine um but at the same time 80s was also a very like of like a time where like there was a lot of like um like major events going on plus on top of that like it's just it's a diverse time there was a lot going on in the 80s and like so it's it is kind of hard to confine the 80s into the singular idea of what it was and you know on top of that like there's different countries different subcultures within each country so it's it's really hard because like the 80s and any other um decade means a lot to a different people and means very different things to a lot of different people so it is cool to kind of like hear like a this like kind of perspective on on it and like this um like based i mean like how would you describe like this like the style of this film like is it does it kind of honor that or is it kind of a little bit less i i think 80s? it cap it capitalizes on like the the globalization of the 1980s how the world is becoming more connected i think globalization is one of the most underrated periods of um, not just american history world history mm-hmm. just because of how complex society started to view each other because before everything was ba- based on the foundation of books and uh you know word of mouth yeah, right what you hear from but, other people about these other places right but the 80s it was like this idea that with color television with the uh, internet coming around and such it is like this jumping off point for a lot of people it's very accessible um and it and it focuses a lot on media i think mass media during this time you look at the movies that came out during the 80s and 70s those were the golden era of cinema according to a lot of people of our generation who are like film scholars yeah. um they, they used to talk about the 40s and 50s like that but now it's like the 70s and 80s or that era and i think it captures the 80s obsession with media very well because it is a late 80s film but also it has that experience of six years or seven years of cable news so i think you're you you nail it on the head chris it does kind of capture that joey what do you think yeah, I haven't seen this one, but I am familiar with uh, James L. Brooks as a writer and producer. Um, so I have seen some of his films and I, I'm a sucker for a good journalism film. Like I, I, if a 
I don't know what it is, but like, I just, I love movies about the news and about journalism. So it sounds like something I'd really enjoy. And it has Albert Brooks in it. And I'm a huge yes. fan of Albert Brooks. Um, he's like a, an actor, writer, director that I've recently started, you know, knowing more outside of just the dad from Finding Nemo. Um, so <laughs> this definitely is a movie I, I, I would want to, it sounds like a nice, like night in kind of movie, you know, it you kind of just like, you kind of snuggle up and it's like, you know, you put it on. So I'm definitely going to have to check this one out soon. It sounds, it sounds really interesting. And it also sounds like a cool little snapshot of what the perception of media was at the time period, mm -hmm. which is great for like an eighties movie. It really, it, it feels like, you know, kind of like a good way to, you know, look back, see where it was then and where it is now. And it, it something to really reflect on because media's basically controls society. So should be a really interesting watch. I'm excited to check it out. Definitely. Definitely. All right, Chris, Woo. let's wrap this up with your last 80s pick. All right. Well, um, go with me on this, okay? This is going to sound like a bit of an ambitious choice. I think this might be let's more ambitious it. of a choice than uh, than your um, anime My film. My anime? Yeah. Oh, It's a 90s film. It's a <laughs> 70s film. <laughs> it's not even an 80s. <laughs> Damn. It's a 2015 film. What? Hold on. <laughs> go with me on this. It is a movie directed, uh, okay, before I introduce it, Joe, you introduced me to this film because you sent me the soundtrack for this movie. What the fuck? It is a 2015 <gasps> film directed by David Sandberg. It's Kung Fury. Yes. The perfect fuck encapsulation yes. of the 1980s. It's a nostalgic pick for me. It's a film that goes back to the 1980s, transports you back to the 1980s, which is why I picked it. I know that's probably going to, that's probably, this is screwing with your thoughts, Ethan. <laughs> But I think this deserves it. I think this deserves it because you know how like there is kind of like this weird like 1980s craze that's been going on lately. Like everyone's really nostalgic for that time period. Mm -hmm. um, I decided I thought I would go with this one because I think what Kung Fury does really well is it articulates that aesthetic and auditory memory that I think a lot of people attribute with America in the 1980s. That kind of groovy, techno funky style and the kind of like poppy costumes and just like the kind of like hyper hyperactive action style that this movie has like it's really a lot of fun um and i was thinking about like what other movies really represent that aesthetic to me and it's like what come to mind are like akira and like even like ready player one as well um and yeah, so I, I really, like, I was hesitant to pick this because I knew it would get this kind of a reaction. <laughs> but um, at the same time, I couldn't deny to myself that, like, when I think 80s, now I think about this movie. Uh, very ironically. But also because, yeah. yeah, it is a love letter to the nineteen to the 1980s. And it is it is a short film. I'll give it that. But um, it it is going to, be, it is being remade with a full, like, mm -hmm. a full feature script and everything isn't there like a really famous actor attached michael to fast arnold arnold schwarzenegger's in it oh him too Hell yeah they yeah. got schwarzenegger yeah so they, they've been working on this one for a while mm -hmm. it's in it's development kind of... hell because no, it's not. They, 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 finished, they finished production but the problem is is the distribution like they're getting sued by whoever's distributing it because like some rights issues or something interesting like, yeah huh. but yeah uh, i i I haven't even released like a still or a trailer or anything. That's I'm absolutely crazy. gobsmacked by this choice. The yeah, gobsmacked. I just, yeah. I, I think it's, 
I think you're right in that it encapsulates this AD sensibility. <laughs> I, I sense a, uh, a butt coming. Yeah. Uh, but it's not an 80s film, you know? No. Okay. Let me. It didn't come out me, in the 80s. Does let not. me jump in here for a second before you continue and just say I 100% fully support this pick. This is 80s <laughs> movies. Do that. This is 80s movies. We never specified these are movies made in the 80s. These are just 80s movies. And Kung Fury is literally by design structured to be an 80s movie. By everything. By the the VHS aesthetic. By by the cheesy spec. Chris honestly put it best where really it kind of just takes what... If you took a survey of like everybody of what they thought an 80s movie would look like, it would be Kung Fury. That's really what it is. It It's a love letter and a tribute a parody all in one of what an 80s movie is and i i am so happy this movie's brought up i'm so excited for the feature i hope it finds a way to get released this was it's honestly one of my favorite short films of all time i think it's i think it's secretly genius i think I it's more than it. just a silly short I'm not, film i'm not disagreeing. it is genius yeah. and also the music slaps yeah. like the music I'm, is phenomenal um yeah. so no chris i think this is a Great pick, and you said it beautifully. Thank you. I think it plays upon eighties nostalgia <laughs> in the in a good and bad way. It's almost like self indulgent in a way, and yeah. that's just my perspective <laughs> on it. Like I don't, I don't not enjoy it. I really like the movie, uh, but I think that like that it's it's self reflexive, but it only is self reflexive because it has 30, 40 years past the time because it came out in like twenty fifteen. <laughs> uh 30 40 years past the 80s to comment on it if it if an 80s film commented on itself in the 80s i think it's ahead of its time here it's like played out a little bit but it's good i i chris i i love that you're really pushing the boundaries of yeah what we i can agree pick on I this that. show a couple episodes ago you picked the whole ass mini series <laughs> planet <laughs> blue planet blue planet blue planet two and now you're picking kung fury this is insane. I, I, I this movie's fantastic. This short film. Uh, I love Ackerman and Triceratops. Yes, <laughs> it's just like it. it it's kind of like what we talked about with RoboCop, where like it just it it tries to capture sort of the ridiculousness of eighties, you know. But while I don't think it has that sort of commentary, I just think this is more of like uh, a celebration and, like you said, a parody. Um, you know what? Fuck it. I'll, I'll allow this. I'll, I'll, I'll allow this because <laughs> the only thing to indicate that it's not an 80s movie is literally its release date. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, Very true. It, from the way it looks, I mean, I, I bet there's a lot of uh, computer graphic, like CGI in this movie, but that whatever. It, it looks, it looks dated. The so Triceratops. It you know, it, it looks bad, so it looks like it was made in the eighties, which is what most CGI in the eighties, like that early stuff, looked like. Um, wild pick, Chris. Oh my god, <laughs> what what a way, what a what a way to to uh to end off this this uh all of our picks. All right, you're, you're well. <laughs> you're welcome uh all right so before we get down to oh my god this is this is gonna be fucking tough no no you, you, Brand, <laughs> no yeah, brandon, brandon already knows what we're gonna pick but before we before we hear brandon's pitch because apparently it's gonna be the easiest thing ever uh let's just run down all of our picks one last time just to refresh everyone so joey you want to kick us off with your stack 
Yeah, so my stack includes Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and then Friday the 13th 6, Jason Lives. Hell yeah. And my stack is RoboCop, Yurisi Yatsura 4, Lum the Forever, everyone's favorite, <laughs> the most iconic, and After Hours. Brandon? I have E.T., Time Bandits, and Broadcast News. Chris? And my films were Police Story, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and Kung Fury. All right. Before we get this down, I'm going to personally say I think there are two films on this list that are must-haves for our final stack. The first one is Ferris Bueller. I think that's I think that's a must-have. That's the one I would, of the three that I have, that's the one I would push and nominate to be in the final stack so the second one might be a surprise but remember this is a this is a this is a show about recommending movies to watch i'm gonna pick police story as i think i think that is a must-have ace like we have we got the action in there i looked through some stills it it looks like an 80s movie and it's it's one i've never seen before and i really want to watch and i think that should be included in our stack what do you guys think I support that I support fully. That. It'd be it'd be a fresh a breath of fresh air to have an international film in there as well. So yes, I actually I actually really support that. Brandon, let me tell you. Yeah, I agree with one of those picks. Which one is Brandon it? hates Chinese people? What? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even I'm say. Kidding. Kidding. I didn't even <laughs> say <laughs> the I movie. Mean, I, mean, I didn't I mean, even I say the movie. <laughs> I was going to say Police Story. I don't want Ferris Bueller on here. Uh, I want Fast Times on here. Fast Times is such a better... Yeah, Fast Times is such a better depiction of what it means to be a teenager. And I think as like an 80s film, it plays into the comedy and dramatic elements. Whereas Ferris Bueller plays more heavily into the comedic elements. When I said that, I saw Brandon's career flash before his eyes. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the Jimmy Fallon moment when RuPaul called him out. (laughs) It's like when we were watching Big Fat Liar, they said a bad word, and we were like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would prefer Fast, Fast Times, Times and Police Story, uh, action and comedy, and I want to go for some genre flavor, because we talked about how important genre films were. I think we go with something like E.T. It's think, simple, it's classic. I was thinking that, too. I think I think yeah. we need E.T. on this list. E.T.'s too, it's too, it, it literally is, if you had, like, faces of the 80s, E.T. would be on there. So it's yeah. hard to exclude E.T. from this list. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, well, then it comes down to Fast Times and Ferris Bueller, honestly. I mean, I know, I've, I've seen Brandon, Fast Times. you're in this, don't you want to be in a movie that's in our final stack? No. No? I thought you wanted that recognition that it's your movie, that you want the royalty. Listen, man. listen, fellas. Listen. He was in Born to be Wild. We should have chosen that. <laughs> hey. The monkey. We, we're going to do eight movies eventually. That so. movie is going to be on that stack. Um, I, I, here's, what, what, here's, what, here's my thinking. I think John Hughes is like quintessential 80s, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's terrific for that, that time. But I would have like gone with like a Breakfast Club or a Sixteen Candles because they're coming of age, and this is coming of age as well. But I think coming of age is done better in Fast Times, and I can understand much per- people preferring uh, Ferris Bueller because like it's the film that most people from the from today have probably seen from the eighties. But I would prefer it. 
but I know it's a show about arguing your point. <laughs> and if you guys feel like Ferris Bueller belongs here, vote and argue it. <laughs> vote. So in conclusion, <laughs> Pokemon, vote. Chris, go to the polls. <laughs> Pokemon, what, <laughs> go. Chris, your your Pokemon going to the polls. What are you gonna vote for? What's your what's what's your say? I'm trying to like like looking at this list as a whole. Like, okay, so we have what do we have? We've got Police Story, E.T. E. Police e. Story. I think we're all and now we're now we're yeah, jumping yeah. between Ferris Bueller, comedy and, genre, um, Fast Times, and Fast Times. So, mm, that's tough. I think like I think like this pick is the one that is meant to encapsulate that classic 1980s look. You know what I mean? That kind of yeah, breakfast club do. kind of feeling. Ugh. And, but the thing is, I haven't seen Fast Times. I feel like I'm not in a position to argue. Because um, mm. I don't know what, I'm, it looks very, wow, my voice really just cracked like that. Um, <laughs> uh, it looks very 1980s, but so does Ferris. So it's really hard. Um, well, let's leave it to the dude who pitched it, Joey. Joey, yeah. Man, that, well, that, I was hoping you guys would decide amongst yourselves because <laughs> both of these are my picks and I can make an argument for either one of these being on this list. I love both of them. Both of them are five-star movies for me. Um, but if I had to go with one, like if I'm imagining it's more than just us, I would have to go with Ferris because it's the guaranteed crowd pleaser. Like, Brandon, even if you have your qualms with it, you can't say that if you're with a bunch of friends and you're watching Ferris Bueller, that you're not going to have a fun time. I, I actually can. <laughs> but that's besides <laughs> the point. So I think my final vote is, I think Ferris Bueller, It's it, I feel like the people listening would get mad if Ferris Bueller's not on this list. So I, I'm going to put my vote in and say Ferris Bueller. Well, they're canceled then. Brandon. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. The, but yeah. Fast Times at Ridgemont High is a great movie too, and you should all check it out as well. There you go. As a person who's getting shut out this episode, I gotta say Ferris Bueller. You're so. getting canceled? No, I'm getting shut out because I'm not getting my picks on the final. Same stack. thing. Same difference. <laughs> if, you, if you lose stack, <laughs> you get canceled. That's it. Give me your Twitter <laughs> password. I'm changing it. All right. Well, so we have our picks. How, how, how do you say we order this? I would say, uh, I would say Ferris Bueller, Police Story, and I think we yeah. end with E.T. E.T., you gotta end with E.T. E.T. is such a gut punch ending. Like, that's, you gotta end with that. You gotta end with the emotional, the emotional climax. So, I agree with that. And, yeah, I think you start off with fun. You know, start off with Ferris Bueller, get everybody in a good mood, get everybody pumped with Police Story and all yeah. the crazy stunts and awesome action scenes, and then end with, like, just an emotional, wondrous journey with E.T. I think, I think that's a good order, unless Brandon or Chris disagrees. Boys, I, I'm here for I it. agree. All right. Well, then, in that case, let us run down Stack's official quintessential movies of the 1980s final stack. Starting with Joey, please introduce our first film. So, to start the film off on a really fun-loving note, just something, just something to have a good time with and laugh and, and just enjoy life, it is the classic 1986 John Hughes comedy, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Chris? And our second film? And our second film is a classic Hong Kong film from 1985, directed by none other than the man myth legend himself, Jackie Chan. It is Police Story, an incredible film with just the most insane stunts and commitment to the craft that you'll ever, you could ever ask for. It's probably one of the greatest formalist 
um, action films I've ever seen. And to wrap it up, Brandon. Uh, I love Star Trek. (laughs) What? (laughs) It kind of sounds like it, to be honest. But our last film (laughs) is E.T. Excellent, excellent science fiction film about friendship, about family, and about really connecting and going to outer space. You don't go to outer space. They don't go to outer space. (laughs) They do. At the end. What are you talking about? Not the E.T. does. Not Elliot. I can't believe Yeah, he goes to space. (laughs) Can we end the episode with me yelling? Have you seen E.T., Brandon? I have. He goes to space. going to outer space. (laughs) (laughs) They know the whole point is it's an alien on Earth. The movie ends when they leave the Listen, listen. They went to outer space at the end. It counts. That's why I said it. <laughs> you guys are pathetic. Oh, jeez. None of this movie is about going to outer space. <laughs> <laughs> Ethan, would, right, you be down to, would you be down to actually just end the podcast right as I say the word, right as I scream in the middle of that? <laughs> sure. <laughs> No, I no no no. We can't do that because we gotta we gotta wrap it up and yeah. do stuff. All right, um, and that's our stack, everyone. I'd like to thank Joey Jordan for coming back onto the podcast. Woo! He's always a blast to have on here, and we had some fantastic discussion discussing these fantastic eighty movies. Joey, is anything is anything changed that you want to shout out uh, these days, or should I just plug the plug the old letterbox and uh, and uh, Twitter? honestly plug that letterbox and we're good to go thanks everybody it's been a pleasure alrighty and uh yeah we'll catch you all on the next time on the next time on the next episode of stacked uh fellas let's go to outer space shall we (laughs) they go to eat they go they go to outer space at at the end you guys gotta believe me